You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Captain, you're going to have to want to look at this. What is it, pilot? Uh, it looks like a distress beacon of some sort. Mm-hmm. Can't make it out properly. It's not one of the regular codes. Oh, well, you know the code. We have to investigate. How long until we get there? A couple of hours. Um, hey, um, science officer, you're reading on that signal? Whatever it is, it's not human. I'm getting a transmission. Playing on main speakers. <laughs> Oh, okay. So everyone else laughs about I'm the only one who can hold character or whatever. <laughs> Alex, you're just an excellent actress. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, can you tell the person who did a community th- theater for most of their life in New York? Oh, I've only done six years of community theater, so obviously I'm just I'm just starting out my career. I have so much to learn, Alex. Yeah, for me. In that case, we should start the show. <coughs> my throat <laughs> <laughs> okay let's start so yeah i guess we should start by saying this is in fact the archaeo animals podcast don't change your channel after what you just heard we're just really good actors and today we are trying to be a bit in the holiday spirit albeit a little late but hey you know, no time like now. And we'll be looking at the zooarchaeology of xenomorphs from the Alien film franchise. And of course, it's Alex Fitzpatrick. And with me as always, Simona Falanga. So yeah, Simona, what is your familiarity with the, the franchise? Um... We'll just say, I guess, just a couple hours here and there spent watching and re-watching the entire franchise, or at least the first four films anyway, and I guess a couple of video games under my belt. So you, just a, a, a occasional light research now Yeah, just a, just a very casual watching and not at all, just a random, like, Sunday morning, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to re-watch all the Alien films. That's never happened. And as for me, I saw the film too young, and there is also a, we'll get to it a bit, but if anyone's been to Disney World, there was a theme park attraction that had the alien in it. So I was scarred for life at a young age because of that. I have a very complicated relationship. Yeah, very child-friendly. <laughs> you have no idea, uh, but we'll get into that because what we're going to do for this first part is kind of just do a, a real brief introduction. I think most people, even if they haven't seen the films, know of Alien. It's one of those things, right, that's kind of like in the pop culture lexicon. Like, at least they know like what the alien looks like. But I think it's probably good to kind of real quickly go through what we're going to be talking about, what's from, because it's not just the films, although it obviously does start with the 1979 film Alien by Ridley Scott, in which the crew of the Nostromo are picked off one by one by the titular alien, and it still slaps. In space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, I guess. I believe that was the tagline, I that was the tagline for the film. 
I mean, I heard them scream because I could hear them on the film. Yes, because it was obviously a, a much-celebrated documentary. Yes. Um, Isn't it real? But after the success of Alien, the series has continued with several, several other sequels and prequels. So including, so it was followed by Aliens in 1986. Which some people say is better. I think that's debatable, but I still think it rules. So, you it's know. It's debatable, definitely. <laughs> just saying. People. Just saying what people say. I like it, but I don't think it's better than the original. Uh, I, I, I would agree. I, think I quite like it. I still prefer the original, but I guess it depends on what kind of film you enjoy the most. Because the first one has more of a survival horror vibe. The second one is more like army men guns blazing. Yeah, they're different genre of films. But, but you know, they're still fun. It's got uh, Bill Paxton looking like a snack, so. Yeah, to that we have Alien 3 in 1992, yeah. which I'm guessing from the bad notes. Movie. I, I liked it. No, I, it's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't like it. No, what what do you like about it, Simona? It's 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 just really badly paced. It's got no direction. It's just the acting is a wee bit like wooden, and like I can't even tell you half the things that happen in it. Well, um, maybe I should watch it again. Well, I guess it's more of a nostalgia factor for me because I remember watching the first two films when I was little, and we didn't have the VHSs of the other ones. So I remember I actually bought it at a petrol station on a school trip. So my idea of a souvenir to bring back from a school trip was a VHS of Alien 3. <laughs> so there you go. And I'm like bringing it home and then my dad was like, oh, I don't like that one. Your dad was right. <laughs> so I watched it. Well, I've watched the first two. I wanted to watch the other ones. Well, on the bright side, it's not the worst Alien movie because following Alien 3, you had Alien Resurrection in 1997. I do think that's probably the worst one. <laughs> I no, think that's that, a hot take. No, that, that'll have to be the prequels that don't exist. Oh, true. Those are, I think those are bad in a different way, because I think... Okay, well, we'll get to it, because obviously it was a very long break, at least in this kind of main canon. We'll get to some of the other movies. But then Prometheus came out in 2012, and it was a prequel to the original Alien. I was so hyped for it, and boy, it... I was so disappointed. So sorry, y'all. I did not like it. No, I watched it at the cinema. Wasn't a big fan. Same with Covenant in 2017. I, 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 like, I'll interject here and I say that like Prometheus and Covenant are good as long as you don't think of them as alien films. Like, I remember seeing Prometheus in in cinemas in English, and I actually also saw it in German, and I actually understood more in the the German version than I did the English one, and I actually appreciated it only because I was like, "This is an alien film." So I think from maybe that perspective, so, it's so, okay. so basically, it's like the Mass Effect Andromeda of the Alien franchise. Yeah, bingo. That's it. Yep, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And I guess for but me, like, it's a, Andromeda, like um, I guess for me, it's the lack of nostalgia factor. Because again, like, I enjoy watching Alien Resurrection because I've watched it when I was quite young. And of course, being quite young, I liked it. And I, I, I don't know, nostalgia factor, maybe. Well, more importantly, it's not just those films, because there's also crossover films, which I think technically count as part of the franchise. They're Alien vs. Predator in 2004, and then AVP Requiem in 2007, and to be honest, they also slap. Just saying. I think I've watched some 
of one of the two AVP films. I forget which one. It doesn't matter. No, <laughs> the same film, not. basically. But like, here's the thing: I don't like Prometheus because for a lot of reasons. I was very disappointed in it. That said, I also sometimes want a film where you just take it's basically two action fingers and you're just throwing them on top of each other and smashing them together. And that's why the AVP movies rule. I guess it just. I, I, I don't know why, like, I'm going to get so much hate. I'm not a big fan of Predator and just Predator Woof. stuff. Woof. Just, just, I just don't. I never thought this would be on the bingo card, but, like, bad Simona takes. Mm. 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 Yeah, mm. it's worrying. I might have to get a new host. <laughs> Oi. I, I, I'm not saying I've got good reason. It's completely irrational. Just, like, <laughs> meh. I mean, I'll be fair, because I was probably a little more lukewarm on Predator up until I started rewatching them uh, as an adult. And I was like, oh, wait, this rules. And, you know, the newest one, Prey, great, great film. Really enjoyed that. I've heard really good things about that one. I've not got around to watch it. At least watch that. Yeah, it's good. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, we're not really going to talk about the Predator, but hey. If you want us to do a follow-up app and we make Simona rewatch all the Predator films as alongside that, you know, just saying, let us know. Oh, I guess I, I, I'll have to do it for the podcast. Do it for the podcast. You always have to do it for the podcast. Anyway, that was just the films. Now, the franchise also includes various other media, some which we probably kind of ignore because... It's a lot. I mean, there's novels, there's comic books. As I mentioned, there was, for some reason, a theme park ride at Disney World as part of a ride where you just go through all different movie scenes. And for some reason, they were like, you know, we should also include a scene where a xenomorph is trying to attack a bunch of children. And that's what happened. And that really did a number on my psyche as a child. But hey, you know, it kind of is cool now. So whatever. It's not there anymore. RIP, great movie ride. Anyway, there also were video games, which I think me and Simona have at least played one of the same ones. Yeah, because there was one, oh, I think it was early early noughties. I forget it was just... Chloe or Marines. I think it was literally called Alien. Like the one thing I remember about it is that the (laughs) face huggers were terrible they were just so anxiety inducing because you you would just hear them and i guess you'll be all dark and you'd have your torch on and you would just hear them moving around and then if they attached themselves onto your face you a countdown would start and you literally like what you'd have to use what was literally an abortion kit to like get rid of it but then if the countdown sort of ran out and you didn't have one of those kits it was game over it was just so panic inducing sure <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. I, mean, I was more. What was that called? I don't know. I mean, because the only ones I could think of were there's uh, Colonial Marines, which is notoriously a terrible game. There's the Alien vs. Predator arcade game, which we have a local arcade near me that has it. And I've probably played that through beginning to end like a dozen times now because it, it rules. And there was also uh, Aliens vs. Predator um, 2005. I had it for, again, this, I had Windows ME. Oh my God. <laughs> had, it was my first computer. 
And one of the games I had for it was Aliens vs Predator, even though I shouldn't have had it because my mom was like, no, you can't play video games that are above your age. I'm like, yeah, well, you don't know what this age is, okay? You can't... It was one of the... It was a CD box and had so many bits and pieces on it. You know, it was like one of those classics recreated and it was just like it was you couldn't even see read what age was meant for but like i remember playing that that was really good okay i found the game is alien resurrection came out in the year 2000 so it's just a game i forgot everything about the plot but it just uh pretty much mirrored sort of the events of the film and it was just like a first person shooter on the Auriga. So yeah, and like the particular bad thing was yeah the drone aliens, but also the face huggers. With yeah, you needed to track down a device to remove the embryo, or you would it would just be game over. Well, it sounds like the only worst version of that is in the 2014 game Alien Isolation, which boy howdy, I think made my anxiety disorder worse. <laughs> Make it two. <laughs> Yeah, I literally, when I played that game through, the one time I played it beginning to end through, I played it with my brother when I was visiting the States and we bought a tub of ice cream, which we shared between us, and we would basically hot potato the controller after one person died to kind of, you know, avoid the the kind of anxiety and frustration, you know, rage quitting. That's the only way we can get through that game, and it was still horrible. (laughs) It's a great game, but... No, like, I really enjoyed it. I've got through, like, the whole main campaign, sort of by myself, and I think just hiding yourself in lockers (laughs) was particularly fun. And also, I guess, having to fight loads and loads of, like, not drones, the... The androids? The androids, that's the ones. And, of course, not being able to use guns or the xenomorph will come looking for you. I can tell you, my anxiety levels definitely got better once I got hold of a flamethrower. Then it's pretty good. But those beginning bits when you're just like have a wrench and a gun that you can't use is just some of the worst. Yeah, um, they got a couple of DLCs as well, which are actually sort of sort of like you play through the story of the first film. I think I've done one of them, but you basically get to play a sort of one of the Nostromo crew. No, quite mm, yeah, cool. yeah. They're more like more than a fully fledged DLC is more like an extra level kind of thing, but they're quite fun. I mean, it's just great to, you know, have a lot of the cast together to kind of recreate that. Uh, and a lot of them came back to voice it. So I think it's really cool. But yeah, I guess we've been talking a lot and using a lot of very intricate terminology. So it might be useful to kind of go back and explain what we're actually talking about. Because we're not just talking about the franchise. We are actually going to talk about the zooarchaeology of things. Oh, are we? And I guess we should... I I, yeah, I think... For that. It was just anecdotes of my childhood watching the alien films. Oh. Yeah, no, I think this is actually a zooarchaeology podcast. So I think we need to go back to that a little bit. But hey, and the franchise is called Alien, so we might as well start with the, the titular Alien, which is actually not really called it's technically it's a xenomorph and it was designed by the great hr giger which is why it looks like that so the just the biggest nightmare ever that's why it looks like that thanks giger but you know we're obviously more interested in to giger geiger sorry i just need i'm sorry i like i my my german sensibilities are conveyance hr geiger not giger 
No. Sorry. Too late. I've said all of it. You'll just have to keep this in. I, I, I was thinking that, but then I've just started like second guessing myself. Like, oh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. Anyway, uh, do I have to re-say all that? No, it's funny. Just continue. She's <sighs> always getting called out. Anyway, Geiger. H.R. Geiger is the one who designed that. Apologies to the, the German slash Swiss. I forget what his nationality is. And yeah, so we'll be talking specifically about the Xenomorph and its iterations in this podcast. You know, and we'll be talking about more of the in-universe explorations of what a xenomorph is and kind of f- those fanciful scientific explanations as to why the alien looks like that, which we love to do on this podcast. Yeah, and I guess like a very sort of brief description of, of the xenomorph. They're an alien species which require a host to gestate, but once born, causes the death of the host and starts living outside of them, making them more of a parasoid species. Much like bees... And ants, xenomorphs have a central queen as part of the social structure. But I guess what's more important for us as zoo archaeologists is what the skeleton of a xenomorph looks like. Because you see, they kind of have two. Because an, an alien has both an exoskeleton and an endoskeleton, which Evil Company and Wayland yutani Corporation has uh, dubbed a mesoskeleton in, in canon in the films, that is. Because... What's scarier than one skeleton? Well, two, apparently. Two, two. They make them super tough. Mega skeleton, basically. Anyway, we will talk a bit more about that, I think, after the break. And I'll try and figure out how to pronounce Giger properly. And we are back with Archeo Animals. We are celebrating the spooky season, or belatedly celebrating the spooky season, by talking about the... Zooarchaeology of xenomorphs from the Alien franchise, and we're going to get down to it, I guess, in this section. I guess we'll have a little look at all the various iterations of the, of the xenomorphs that we see throughout the franchise and have a bit of a punt at what their skeletal structures may look like and hope our brains don't explode. Because there are two skeletons, which is a lot to deal with. I guess to begin with, I guess we might follow them through like their life cycle. So to begin with, we have what I'm sure is everyone's favorite, the face hugger. Not at all anxiety inducing. No, no, no. So it, well, I guess a horrifying baby xenomorph, but also like not really. Because the, the yeah. face hugger, it hatches from the other morph, so the egg. So this parasitoid larva, referred to as face hugger, attach themselves to the face of its host but then lay an embryo inside of them and then kind of just die. So they're more of a, yeah, I guess they're not a baby xenomorph in itself. Like, how does that work? Yeah, they're not really, they're, in, in retrospect, it kind of doesn't make sense. Well, no, hmm, okay. My, you can hear my brain starting to already sizzle and pop. But because you would think they're the baby xenomorphs. They're the ones that actually hatch out of the egg. That is laid. But then the, the skeletal structure is completely different to that of a fully formed xenomorph. Or is that their impact of being hosted by a mammal? I think, yeah, well, we'll get into that as we move into some of the other iterations. But yeah, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
because they attach themselves to the face and like and the tail goes around the neck so you properly can't pry them away yeah and uh, then after a couple of hours, a little a baby xenom, the actual baby xenophobe just burst out of your chest. Yeah. And they are uh, called, very creatively, chestbursters. <laughs> and then the chestbursters are the ones that actually mature into the adult xenomorphs. So yeah, I guess in some ways the facehugger is a completely different thing to the xenomorph, but it does l- give birth to the xenomorph. I guess it's more like um like a vehicular thing that transmits the embryo. Oh gosh! <laughs> um, of a morph to host. Like if you think about like a like a tree seed, like a conker is inside like the spiky shell. You know, like a conker is like inside the so like the 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 outside layer of the conker is like the green spiky thing. That's still part of the tree. That's still part of the life cycle. It's just something that gets cast off. It's just like a shell, you know? It's just a moving shell. I think that's the best way to kind of think about it. Um, I don't know. I think that may might burn her a bit more. But yeah, only then do you get the baby xenomorphs coming out, which looked, for something so terrifying, looked so super cute in the first Alien film because it was this tiny baby xenomorph and it looked like it was on wheels just going, Wee! as it was running away. And it was whip its way through that room and it, after it pops out of John Hurt oh spoilers I guess but whatever um, it goes right down that hallway it's kind of incredible and like I said they're they're very quick in very different ways they take literally hours and they're the terrifying killing machines that haunt the protagonists of the aliens films we might as well move into the xenomorph themselves or specifically we'll talk about the xenomorph as seen from a human host which is seen in alien and aliens and i think it's kind of the the prototypical idea of a xenomorph if you talk about it that's what people think about yeah i guess also alien resurrection Oh, yeah, well, I just try not to think about that film uh, at all. <laughs> just trying my best to, you know, manifest its way out of my brain, maybe. So, yeah, I mean, as we discussed before, the xenomorph needs a host for gestation. So, of course, you know, in the alien films, given that, you know, it's mainly human-based crews, most of the victim hosts uh, do tend to be humanoid in nature. So, in the lore of the franchise, the xenomorph... Ha- have the ability to take on certain characteristics of the hosts during gestation. Yeah. So obviously, if most of the you know victims are humanoid in these films, you usually end up with a xenomorph that ends up kind of humanoid looking in that they're upright, they're bipedal creatures, even, and you know, this is going more into stylistic differences that really can't really be explained by in-universe science. But in the original film, you can even see the glimpse of like a humanoid skull within the larger xenomorph cranium, which I always thought was a really cool detail. Of course, like, you know, that design didn't stick around, so we can't really say it's canon, but I like the idea of like, you know, having that kind of thing from a a host, even though it doesn't make sense. Yeah, But I guess in a way, because maybe like the first one allowed for a bit more level of detail because it was they were using costumes a lot over CGI. 
And of course, CGI was still in its early days when the other films came out. So maybe that. Talking about CGI. So, you know, like, we know that the xenomorph can take on the characteristics of any host species. So we've seen a humanoid xenomorph. Um, what else could it look like? That's where Alien 3 comes in and answers it for us, giving us a dog xenomorph, also known as the runner. As you expect, like the, the host was a prison dog, and I guess it unfortunately gives birth to the runner, which is more quadrupedal in nature, runs on all fours. The anatomy sort of is, well, I guess not necessarily quite similar to a dog, but you do see some similarities so like in like hind leg structure and such and the fact that yeah it runs on all fours i mean it's kind of like they just took the skeleton of a dog and put a big weird alien skull on it that big round thing but more importantly what i'd like to talk about in this section is that we were deprived of what a real dog xenomorph would look like so if you go on youtube the uh a special effects team from Alien, the Alien films. They've uploaded some behind the scenes stuff. You can also find this on like the DVDs and stuff. But there are original tests for the Xenomorph dog costume. And it's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm inviting you all, including you, Simona, if you haven't seen it already, but I assume you might have, to just look up on Google the dog Xenomorph costume because they literally just put a costume on a dog for filming and it's just the cutest thing in the world <laughs> sorry are you just reacting to this now I, I, i've just i've just looked at the photo it's amazing right but if anyone else wants to see what it looks like i mean uh, you're more than welcome to send us a uh an actual xenomorph costume for dogs and i'll make sure like it look, might be, like, get my dog to wear it it's just, it's the funniest thing. I love that notion that someone was like, what if we just put it on a dog? And then they they made the whole costume, like, and everything, and they put it on a dog. And you just can't do that, folks. It's too cute. <laughs> I was supposed to be scared of that? No, I would be running towards it with my arms open. And then also be like the usual, like, well, not usual dog actor thing, but a lot of dog actors that just can't stop wagging their tail and they have to CGI it out. <laughs> they're just so happy to be there. Yeah, just the happiest, the happiest Xenomorph. It's just, it's so funny. So yes, if you have not seen this, please take a moment out of your life and just look it up and just give yourself a little joy in that sense. Be like Alien 5, the best boy. I mean, I feel like with Jonesy in the first film, we could have also just gotten a xenomorph cat. Oh no, that would be too terrifying. Yeah, that actually might be the most evil thing possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Bastet. I didn't mean to disparage you. She's not on good terms with Jonesy. Went on adventures without her. Sorry to bring it up bad times. <laughs> anyway, um, we should probably move on to the other hybridy type thing. The xenomorph human alien hybrid. Oh <laughs> Yeah, that's all we have to say about it. No, it's from the extremely bad movie Alien Resurrection. And we just need to get we just need to talk about the, the plot of Alien Resurrection first to really emphasize the ridiculousness that we're about to kind of 
try and justify through science. So it's all about clones of Sigourney Weaver's character, Ellen Ripley, from the other films. And yes, I, I said clones. And, you know, there's a lot of DNA nonsense occurring. So, of course, you know, that obviously means we would get some weird hybridization between Ripley and the Xenomorph, specifically the Xenomorph Queen, which we will talk about later in this episode. And I think we specifically want to talk about the horror show known as The Newborn, which is born from the Xenomorph Queen, which has been contaminated by DNA from Ellen Ripley. So she doesn't actually give birth to a egg and have a face hugger situation. Instead, she gives birth like a human would to The Newborn. And boy, does it look like a hybrid, because unlike other xenomorphs, the newborn has a much more humanoid-looking body, particularly the skull, which is distinctly more human-looking, except it has the kind of weird xenomorph elongation and very scary canine teeth to really emphasize the fact that this is a scary guy. To be fair, like it was kind of haunting, or like when I, when I first watched it, and it might be like that sort of humanoid, but not quite. There was a bit; it's a bit unsettling. He just looks like he's made out of candle wax. He's weird. He's goopy. Don't get it. Take it for what it is. The the whole ordeal is confusing. Yeah, so it's like I don't even know where to start from talking about the the anatomy, the skeletal anatomy of that. Yeah, because like one thing that is confusing, sort of biologically, and I know we're going to cover the queen in a bit, but of course in this film you have a queen, and then you have all the various like xenomorph drones, to whom like she gives birth, you know, like in an oviparous fashion. She lays the eggs, face hungers go out, a load of people like pre, you know, left there for the occasion get infected, give birth to the xenomorphs, but then. She gives birth to the newborn like a placental mammal would. So is she both like mammalian and oviparous at the same time? Oh, I can answer that, actually. It's, you see, it's because the xenomorph queen was contaminated by DNA from Ellen Ripley, thus giving her some slightly humanoid characteristics, similar to how Ellen Ripley's clone, which I think is number eight in the film, she also has been contaminated by DNA from the Xenomorph Queen, and she has like acid uh, spit and like sharp nails. You know, obviously, this is scientifically sound, so I don't know why you didn't pick it up. No, no, but I get that. But it's just you seem to be having two different reproductive systems at the same time. Because, of course, all the drones, were, she, like, she gave birth to them in an oviparous fashion. But then the newborn, it was a very placental kind of situation there. Oh, I can but answer that. At the same time. Okay. Yeah, I can answer that question. Um, it's a very bad movie. And <laughs> okay. It has a very bad script. That's why that's happened. I'm going to start writing that as like a zoo archaeological report thing if I just don't get it. This is a very bad movie with a very bad script. <laughs> this is a very bad context. <laughs> but yeah, th th there you go. If if you if anyone has any answers for us, please please let us know. Yeah, and uh, you know we didn't really have time to talk about this because we 
try not to talk too much about Predator since it's a whole different thing, but we do want to do a special shout out to the Predalien, which is the wild looking Predator alien kind of hybrid from the AVP films. You know, the, we, it's the same as the other ones in terms of Predator hosts, alien comes out, not much else to say except it's super cool. And yeah, I mean, there's also other alien iterations that we're not really going to talk about in this episode because they're from the prequels and they're bad. The like, I don't remember what they're called. They're not called xenomorphs. They're like the predecessor aliens. Okay, I've just looked looked up a photo because I don't think I'd actually ever seen the predalien. Oh my goodness, you are missing out on art. Very classy. We love to see it. Which AVP is that from? I cannot tell you off the top of my head because they're the same it's film. From, it's from the second one. Thank you. It's also in the 2005 Aliens vs. Predator game as well. Just like it, it's weird. Like the uh, yeah, they were thank kind of like orange in that game as well. It's quite thank, thank thank you, Lore Master. You know what? I I, I do what I can. Do what yeah. I can. But I guess we should end this segment by talking about one of the coolest ones and arguably one of the ones that is, again, kind of difficult to explain scientifically. That's kind of the theme here. We can't really explain any of this. They got two skeletons. Kind of lose us at that point. But still fun to talk about. And we've talked about her a little bit. And it's the Alien Queen. So... As we previously mentioned, the xenomorphs follow a social structure akin to, you know, bees. So you have your queen as a center to the reproductive cycle of the species and the kind of societal element of the species. And the queen does actually look similar to her worker drones, but she big, fellas. She real big. And I guess in a way, like, in a way possibly to signify her position above sort of the rest of the drones um, on an elongated skull with a very large shield-like carapace, which she can use to protect her head. It's, it's real big. Yeah. And actually, real quick, before we finish the segment, I do want to ask you, what do you think those things are made of? Because I looked it up, and there's conflicting reports even in the canon where it's either... The exoskeleton is either like a, a carapace kind of chitin like uh, material, or it's like silicon. Silicon. Yeah, that was something that came up in, I think it was one of the novelizations, maybe or no, it's a line I think in the, the first film, like offhand they say it's like silicon based. Yeah, so it's meant to be like you know how we're carbon based. It's meant to be silicon based, and that's how they've developed the resistant to the super acid blood. Um, but no, there's there's no kind of consensus really. I think some of the carapace chitin kind of talk is like it's almost like people who don't. It's almost from characters' points of view who don't really know, and that's what they are assuming it looks like, or that's how they would describe it. Um, but I don't necessarily think that we can take that as a active description. That's just what people think it looks like. Does that make sense? And I guess really it could be made from anything. So I mean, the keratin, so the keratin-based material, it's the closest thing we can think of in parallels on Earth. But even like from watching the prequels, I don't think we actually know where the xenomorph has originally come from. So it could be like the, their sort of structure that could be based on anything. That makes sense. 
No, because none of this makes sense, to be honest. And I guess that's how we end this segment by saying, we don't know. It got two skeletons, folks. What do you want us to do about that? Two skeletons. Because it's fiction. Don't know what that means. We're going to go to the next segment after this break. And we are back with Archaeoanimals. We are talking about the zooarchaeology of the xenomorph in the Alien franchise. Although, to be fair, we're actually going to take a little bit of a diversion with this last section and talk a bit more about the archaeology, broadly speaking, in the Alien franchise. Because there's actually like a fair amount of archaeology that takes up a lot of the broader lore. You know, like a lot of xenoarchaeology. Because we're talking about lots of Xenos here, baby. I don't know. I don't know, folks. <laughs> um, I mean, technically, most of the actual archaeology is found in the prequel series. But you'd, we do see the beginnings of it sort of in the first Alien film, where the crew of the Nostromo originally sort of first gets in contact with the Xenomorph after exploring ancient remains of an alien ship on a nearby moon, as you do. And it said it's in these ruins that one of the crew members, so Kane, played by the late and, and brilliant John Hurt, was implanted with a xenomorph embryo. And then the whole, you know, chest burst thing happened and the baby xenomorph wheeled away and uh, the survival horror that we know and love truly begins. Yeah, but, you know, was probably more interesting, apart from all those those many, many eggs that John Hurt comes across is the remains of an alien life form that's known as the pilot or the space jockey. And it's this really, really big body that's found in what was most likely the cockpit of the ship who died after a chest burster had, you know, burst out of its chest. <laughs> Which actually makes me think, because I remember I was thinking about this when I was like kind of writing the notes for this episode. And I was like, that kind of counts as archaeology, right? Is that weird to like? No, that's no, that is definitely archaeology. And I, I don't know what it is that makes me feel like it's not archaeology. I guess because I don't know if they they really. I can't remember it in the first one if they really kind of play up how old it might be. Like it's supposed to be like a fossilized kind of body that the space jockey is, right? It definitely looks like it. I think like they were definitely in some of the filming notes, really trying to amp up how like ancient it was. Like it was like fossilized practically. Like they made it to look to be fossilized, and obviously, fossilization in space, you know, you know, like that's going to be taking a long time. So you're also uncovering a what's it called? Like you're uncovering a a ship. You know, like a, a way of life, or like an organization of space within a in a within a kind of confined space. Like there's design choices in how the rooms are laid out, the tunnels, the you know where everything's designed. It is archaeology. It's just not archaeology of humans. It's archaeology of another sentient species. So definitely archaeology, xenoarchaeology. I know. And they didn't even take a single photo, not a single section drawing. And, you know, a, a plan could have put, could have made a nice grid and planned everything one to 20. But no, they just had to go and get face huggers all over their faces. They actually, you know, the, the thing, that annoys me. You know, the face hugger eggs, they have the, like they have a flat level plane. And it's like got these like lines that go across. Like you could easily just like 
plan out your grid there, count your eggs, and you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I think if I was going there, I, I would do a better job. I guess the thing about it that makes me like not see it in a archaeology headspace, despite the fact that this is a fictional thing and it's you know science fiction, aside is I that. guess. Yeah, aside for that, I guess it's because they are they are originally going towards it with the the intent of salvage and oh, there's like you know a downship. Should we check it out? Uh, and you know, I mean, that's obviously part of the the plot that they aren't expecting to uncover an ancient ship. But I guess that kind of also speaks to what might be the 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 problem with archaeology being a huge part of the lore, specifically in the prequel films. Because, um, yeah, so the prequel films end up kind of returning to this alien spaceship and specifically the, the space jockey uh, by further exploring the franchise's kind of deep lore and tying it even more directly to archaeology, particularly in Prometheus, where two of the main characters are actually archaeologists. And it's it's funny because I didn't even pick this up until I was like rereading the the, the the plot summary for this episode. I completely forgot. It begins on the Isle of Skye, which is part of the Inner Hebrides of Scotland. So not that far from where I excavate. Very strange. I know, but like, I mean, like we like representation, but uh, not this kind of representation. It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle a little bit here because to be honest I kind of merge Prometheus and Covenant together and I'm not entirely sure where one ends and one begins. It's just one blob. Yeah, I mean I didn't see Covenant. I, I read the summary for this episode. It doesn't seem like I missed much besides potentially just watching Danny McBride be Danny McBride. And yeah, so first red flag I guess is that the archaeologists in Prometheus discover that several ancient cultures have left behind parts of a star map that would potentially lead them to the site of humankind's ancient alien ancestors. And there, there's your red flag. That's the foghorns going off at the, the phrase ancient alien ancestors. Because, yeah, this film utilizes some problematic tropes with regards to pseudo-archaeological beliefs that ultimately have really horrible consequences for others in the real world and it, it it's bad <laughs> i think i think there was some like notes about the creation of prometheus where one of the things they wanted to do was almost like have the t- plot twist being that like there is human DNA in the original Xenomorph. And it's actually like all come full circle. And it's kind of like me sowing, ha ha ha, me reaping, oh no. But like, I think they really, this is the problem is like, that was, that's an interesting thing to talk about. But like, it's almost like they bent over backwards and they actually tore up a lot of their own canon in order to kind of make that happen. And that's why they've come up with this whole ancient aliens thing because all they wanted to do was demonstrate that like humanity is the vicious one you know humanity is the, the evil with inside you know this like this weapon I, I think that kind of takes away from the cosmic horror of alien that's my biggest problem with prometheus and um, but prometheus is actually not the first film in the series to actually engage with this 
unfortunately, it was actually Aliens versus Predator, which I think that brought up the ancient aliens kind of thing before. Oh, yeah, it does. I kind of turned that my brain off when I just watched them fight each other. Yeah, so like they have the the pyramids and everything. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a pyramid in Antarctica, which is like if you're thinking about pseudo-archaeology, that's like the that's the big one. Like, oh, I yeah. think I think that's the one I saw a bit of, and they just I didn't finish it. I think that's the one. I remember something Antarctica pyramids. It rings a bell. Yeah, and base ten is the the counting system. <laughs> everything is like, but what what's I mean, like, I this is actually relevant to again, you talking about this 2000 game, uh, the aliens versus predator game. You get to play as the alien and you you spawn inside one of these temples, and then you have to like take out humans and predators and stuff. And I just remember thinking, like, the whole like walls were adorned with like alien hieroglyphs, you know, it was like hieroglyphs, ancient Egyptian stuff, but it had the the iconography of the alien as well and the xenomorph and it was just like i know what you're trying to convey here like you're trying to convey that like this is not the first time humans have interacted you know there's more to this but i feel like it takes away from ultimately what aliens about is this unchallengeable horror you know this cosmic horror this horror beyond humanity that can't be comprehended but then we get little snippets of the relationships of that horror to like the engineers that's where we get the space jockey and the spaceship and that's where we're only getting bits and pieces of it and we'll never ever be able to understand it all and i think leaving it as something that we can't understand would have been better uh, but instead they, they made prometheus and now we have to talk about uh, this stupid archaeology i mean yeah sorry Yes, I mean, like, I don't remember much about it. And I think it's just, in general, as a theme, like the whole like precursor race thing, it just, 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 no. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, Predator kind of, I mean, it's got its own problematic stuff, but it, it kind of gets around that by just having it be like the Predators have always visited Earth and fought humans. And that's how you get, like, the most recent Predator, which takes place in the 1700s. And, you know, they, they come back and they, you know, fight humans in different ages because they're all about, you know, the sport. Um, and, yeah. you know, but they're not like they're not like giving humans like technology. That's that's what annoyed me about like Prometheus. It was almost like, you know, we, we are aliens. You know, we are the engineers regenerated, you know, and I think. I, I'm OK with the Predator one just because it's like, oh, they interacted rather than you know, your standard ancient alien sphere where it's like, oh, we couldn't have achieved it without the external, uh, you know, like, interaction. And I think that's the big problem with it. Yeah, it, it also makes me think about how often when science fiction tries to touch upon archaeology, how unfortunately, how often that becomes a trope they fall on. It's particular, you know, like, and I, I guess in some ways I can kind of understand it. You know, if you want to do an archaeological take on science fiction, you're kind of thinking, all right, if it's more, it's this human centric type of field. So obviously, if we want to tie aliens into it, this is how they do it. But obviously, it's, it's racist and xenophobic and bad, and we shouldn't 
be, you know, tolerating it because it has, like I said, it has extremely real world consequences, even though that, you know, some people might say that's silly that, oh, who's going to watch Alien and then think something racist or whatever, but it normalizes it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more abstract than that, isn't it? It's, it's like building up this expectation that like there are certain bits of history that are just up for grabs and that can be just toyed with, you know, like it's like, you know, I'd love it if like the alien franchise had like focused on like Stonehenge or like, you know, Neolithic mounds in Ireland as the, that that was what the aliens kind of got in, in involved with to help people build. Because like when you look at pseudo archeology span and ancient alien stuff, it's always stuff that's like in the global South. It's always like, Oh no, these people these groups of people couldn't have been, you know, technologically advanced to do this, and that's 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 the that's the problem, you know. And um, I think, but I I also want to say that like, it's lazy, you know. There there are so many things that you could do with archaeology, in terms of a methodology, because I, I I obviously we've not made contact yet, so we can't really talk about like what the um, analogous alien anthropology would be. But like, I think there are things that you can apply to human anthropology that would work with an alien species. And you could actually do it in an, like an, a nice way where you're actually trying to understand things. Um, and coming back to your point where you were talking about like when the crew of the Nostromo first went on the first ship in Alien that they were kind of like looking for survivors, they're looking for salvage. They weren't actually like trying to examine anything. I think that kind of ties into the wider themes of like the anti-capitalism kind of narrative of Alien, which I, I know that like, you know, very on brand for me, but uh, to bring that up, but like, you know, this whole idea that the, 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 the company just wants the bioweapon at any cost and, you know, they're willing to sacrifice the crew for that. I think those are the broader themes that like we, we we look at as an example of like how contact will probably actually happen rather than like oh let's study these ancient like um all things in scotland and it'll leave us on a map like we're never going to get a map we're never going to get a map it's, you know yeah but it's also i guess in a way it's just sorry just overused in it just overused in a way because you you can have some nice sci-fi without precursor races and things and you could just like that there are so many like universes and things out there and not all of it has to be linked mm -hmm. totally totally it's funny because that stuff also kind of speaks to the simultaneous like horrific ego and yet kind of weird optimism of humans in the idea that you know oh, we would, if we made contact, we would start thinking, immediately tackling these huge philosophical questions of like who we are. And then the ego of, well, they'll give us the answers and we just need to find it. <laughs> it's very interesting in a kind of abstract way. And all, and, but again, it's, it's a lazy trope that people should stop relying on uh, and I, I get why it's used, but it, come on guys, I mean, it's I bad. Mean, like I mean, that maybe was one of the redeeming features of Prometheus was that, like, <laughs> you know, they were, like, looking for the end to the end to find the engineers to actually find out, you know, the secrets of the universe and the engineers just attacks them. That's just like, yeah. yes, yes, thank you. You know, like, 
if we ever interacted with the past, you know, I, I would expect the past to fight back, you know, to slap us in the face and go, no, I, I will not be understood. I'm not here to be understood. Leave me alone. And I think it's the same for like when we ask these basic questions, you know, I think I, I, I think the thing is that like the alien lore is very messy and it leads to a lot of interpretation, which gives a lot of fodder for archaeologists because that's all we do. You know, is we interpret things. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, ultimately, I think a lot of it is a, a misunderstanding of what archaeology is when it's kind of used in these ways. And it, I mean, obviously, that's me not trying to obscure the fact that archaeology is often used in harmful ways to begin with. But it's that kind of misunderstanding of archaeology is you know finding the truth when it's interpreting the past. It's you know that's all we can do. And it leads to like stuff like that. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to end this episode being down because it is unfortunately a, a thing we should talk about. But I think there's still kind of some other interesting archaeological themes that can be found throughout the alien films that aren't necessarily as problematic. You know, there's these themes of identity, of lineage, you know, even ignoring the precursor race thing, you know, this idea of who we are in comparison to these aliens that can take on your form more or less, like and kind of adapt to parts of you, you know, weaponizing things for power, which is a very archaeological theme if you're looking at it uh, as a field of, in itself. But yeah, it would be nice for science fiction to realize, you know, you don't have to do the ancient aliens route if you want to do archaeology. Just saying. Hot take. No, that's, that's, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. But I, I also think as much as I like like to lampoon things, I think it's important that archaeology does get representation so people do get intrigued. And it's just up for people like us to kind of be like, hey, I know that sounds cool, but here's the real deal, you know? That, that's, the, that's our Yeah, job. so that's why we're saying to the Disney company, which now owns the property, to hire us to be in the next Alien <laughs> installment as the three archaeologists that no one listens to and we get killed off within the first 35 minutes. Okay. Just saying. If anyone wants to let us know. And hey, if you're an agent who wants us to be part of this you know, franchise, let us know. Uh, but if you just want to, you know, Say hi. Tell us about what you like about the episode. Tell us if you want us to do a Predator one. You can find us on Twitter at ArcheoAnimals. We are on the Archaeology Podcast Network website. We are, you know, you know where you find us. You're listening to us right now. But hey, while you're looking at us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, you know, follow us or subscribe to our podcast give us a, a like or a rating and a review all the other fun stuff what am i missing no that's that's good and any hate mail goes to me tristan at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com oh you took the words out of my mouth oh and if you want to give us fan art draw us as xenomorphs very happy for that as well i would love to be uh, completely scarred by some horrifying fan art of me with a big head well bigger than i normally have so hey you might we might put you on your twitter and all that stuff we've had some fun fan art in the past and as always it's been me alex fitzpatrick and tristan was here too Yay. Yeah.
listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Laura Johnson. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.